So Tommy actually sent me something that he wanted to play to kick off this episode. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's spooky season, all! It's Tommy's favorite time of the year. And I you couldn't think of any other way to celebrate. It's the most wonderful time of the year. A nightmare on Elm Street coming up next. Haven't seen it with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevenay. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching a movie for the very first time and get used to hearing it this month. It's my (laughs) first time watching some iconic horror movie. Tommy, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Like you said, it's the most wonderful time of the year. I love that song in the beginning. So we're deep into spooky season right now. <laughs> You're deep into spooky season, but everybody else, they're just kind of <laughs> dipping their toes in the water. Yeah. Like, what is it? October 4th already? Yeah. <laughs> that we're recording this. I will say I didn't realize the tonal whiplash and the style of the songs going from it's the most wonderful time of the year to our theme song, just completely different. <laughs> Yeah, our theme song is just very like chill, relaxed kind of vibe. Song, and then this like symphonic, uh, like, you know, old timey, yeah, holiday cheer song. But this is your holiday season, Tommy. <laughs> yeah, Correct? like I said, uh, very much, very much so. Um, I've already watched eight movies so far, uh, horror movies uh, so far this uh, for this month, and we're four days into the month, so it's going well. <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, you went and saw a triple feature this weekend. Yeah, so uh, it technically wasn't a triple feature. Uh, I decided on a Saturday morning that I had a lot of free time. So I saw Smile um, and that, the new movie with uh, Kevin Bacon's daughter as the lead and about the kid, people who like creepily smile and like they kill themselves and stuff like that. It was fun. Uh, and then after that, uh, it ended perfectly where the next screening was a double feature of Bride of Frankenstein and the original Mummy, like the one from the 1930s. So. Those are both really fun. Uh, Brad Frankenstein obviously is a classic. Timmy, have you ever seen that one? What did I just say before, Tom? <laughs> no, no. So uh, that's another one that, you know, next spooky season we'll do that. But uh, so Boris Karloff was great. A little double feature right there. I wouldn't recommend you watch the 1930s Mummy. I thought that was a dragon. Didn't hold up at all. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine the 1930s Mummy doesn't hold up well. Also, I like how you described Smile. You're like, yeah, you know, it's with these kids that are possessed with the smiles and they just kill each other. It was a lot of fun. That's, that's your definition <laughs> of fun right there. Darling. Yeah, exactly. There's a bunch of anxiety and dread. I'm like, oh, that was a good time at the movies. <laughs> so this first episode to launch our first spooky season is a nightmare on Elm Street. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. Nightmare on Elm Street. No! No! She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails, no one will survive. Help me, please! 
Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street, rated R. It's that special time of the year. It's spooky season. And that means if you're a teenager having sex, you're going to die. Follow Nancy Thompson as she tries to uncover the secret behind her haunted nightmares and the mysterious deaths of her friends. Watch Johnny Depp play an innocent boyfriend who gets caught up in a whole world of trouble. I'm not talking about 50-year-old bloated drunk Johnny Depp either. It's a nightmare on Elm Street. So funny enough, and I, I probably should have checked with my parents before I hopped on this recording, but I'm almost positive one of my Halloween costumes as a kid was Freddy Krueger. Really? And you never yeah. saw the movie? <laughs> like I, I remember having the hat and the glove. Actually, I think I had the hat for Indiana Jones and it just got repurposed out of the Halloween yeah. bin and, and tossed on and it's like a red and green sweater so you could kind of do that cheaply with some paint. It's a very low budget costume. <laughs> very low budget costume. I did not do the facial blemishes. I'm not mm. really a cosplayer. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to put makeup and everything. <laughs> and like I definitely knew the song, the one, two, Freddy's coming for you. So I, I have a question about this. So uh when was like the first time you remember ever hearing about the concept of Freddy? Because I was in seventh grade when I first heard about it. And uh, I remember uh, I had a nightmare that whole night. I couldn't stay up. I, I couldn't fall asleep. I, I did pull all nighter that night in seventh grade when I found out who Freddy Krueger was and what the concept was of this movie. <laughs> the concept of this movie, I think I discovered like this weekend, uh who Freddy Krueger was, like elementary school. Yeah, like Freddy, because I remember like Freddy versus Jason came out in the early two thousands, mm-hmm. and everybody was talking about that on the playground. Even though like two kids probably got convinced their parents to take them to go see it. <laughs> they had the cool older brother or something. <laughs> yeah, I I did not have that. Uh, well, not really. Unfortunately, I ne- never dove deep into the Freddy Krueger lore of of things. But this was, you know first impressions this was an enjoyable horror flick i can see why it's so iconic i really liked the opening of the movie where it's freddy just like wielding his claws in his work space what what is that the boiler room right where he he lives in the dream world yeah like that's where like he died in like the boiler room or something that's what's his home base or whatever is just this creepy ass boiler room. So, so yeah, he's in that, and you know, it's it's like the close ups on him sharpening the knives on his blade, like him adjusting his hat. Like you don't really see his face, if I'm remembering correctly, in that opening scene. It's more of a, it's like a nice slow build. It's a good way to build your mm-hmm. your movie monster. You want to take that time right like that's the lesson of jaws is less is more if exactly just, if it just opens up with like a close-up of a burnt dude's face you're gonna be like whoa no uh, this is ridiculous <laughs> and and i also liked because like i went in blind i didn't i try not to really read anything about movies i haven't seen before if i'm gonna watch it like i think that's my personally my best way to experience it the only scene that I like really knew of is like the iconic fingers in the in the bath mm-hmm. tub where he grabs Nancy down and pulls her deep into the dream world through the bath. Uh, that reminded me of Get Out a lot, right? Like the falling into the, space, yeah, like the sun, sunken zone. I'm like, oh, I see yeah. where Jordan 
Peel pulled this one from. Like, what's great about back then, the special effects of this movie. I mean, the special effects budget was only like fifty-seven k, and uh, they did like that bath scene, for example, where they pretty much just like built a bath, uh, like a little like place underneath where a guy, a stunt guy, could sit, and a stunt guy was in the bath bathtub with Heather Langkamp the whole time. It was insane that like nowadays you just do CGI for that, but they just really went for it here. <laughs> oh, so they have the hand like under, they basically put a hole in the bath. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a whole special effect wise of it where it was just like, I forget the exact point, but they had pretty much this way where the special effects guy could kneel underneath and like have a little bit of a breathing area and stuff. So it, it's crazy when you think about it. <laughs> I thought they put Wee Man in the bath. Yeah. Just some random, a little dude. <laughs> Yeah, no, I still don't think that would really work. But, and I also liked the change of perspective because, you know, Wes Craven, the only other movie I've seen is Scream. And when you open up, it's on Tina Gray, the blonde girl. And it's the first 15 minutes is told through her perspective. So you get the feeling that she's going to be the protagonist of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then, nope, she has sex and then she's dead. Yeah, immediately. So I was wondering about that if you knew that like she wasn't the final girl of this because um, that got spoiled for me based on like those Bravo 100 scariest movie moments things that used to air back in the day. But um, I mean, that death in particular was just so brutal. <laughs> it was gruesome. And it, it's really our first uh, introduction into into Freddie and just Robert Ingold, right? Am I pronouncing England? England. 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 Yeah. Oh, so just like the country pronunciation. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. You feel his like menace here, and you don't really even get a clear shot of him in the scene when he starts chasing her down her street. Mm-hmm. But man, like you, the encompassing horror and presence of of his performance as Freddie really comes through right here. So I was listening to a behind the like the making of A Nightmare on Elm Street uh, in prep for this. And it was an interesting quote that Robert England uh, said. He said, probably the reason they haven't replaced me is because of the walk and the body language of the character, which is all me. And like you mm-hmm. couldn't feel that being personified. And and Wes Craven all before had like a very interesting comment about actors diving into like being evil said i had found that when actors fail playing evil is that certain people are simply unwilling to admit that it's in them it's my theory that it's in all of us and you can tap into it and that doesn't mean that's what you are but you have to acknowledge that part of you but for an actor he robert has to relish in it being really really nasty and robert was able to go there and Throughout the whole movie, you can definitely feel that from Robert England. 
Robert, uh, I looked this up today. He was only in like seven minutes of screen time overall, but his presence has just felt so much throughout. Um, you know, there could have been a terrible way. I mean, apparently the studio at one point was just like, oh, why don't you just hire like a stuntman to play Freddy? And then it would have been like the generic slasher character, uh, like, you know, like your Michaels and your Jasons, where it's just this lumbering big guy or something like that. And it would have been memorable. And it would have been just like another typical random slasher. But I think Robert England really elevates the role to... <laughs> point where it's a menacing but it's not to the point like the sequels get where he's joking he's very you know held back here yeah so uh, obviously this is my first nightmare on elm street uh, where does this rank for you in terms of all the freddy krueger movies uh this is definitely top two i mean i love part three uh dream warriors but it's pretty much a a or B kind of situation for me. So, I mean, they're very close. But the problem with a lot of the sequels is that eventually Freddy just becomes just like a random jokester where he's just like, oh, like, why don't you have a bite to eat? And then shoves some food in the character or something like that. Or turns into a TV and says like, welcome to prime time, bitch. And it's like kind of like the Rick and Morty parody or like the parodies you see of Freddy all over. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. I really like how straight he's played in this. Like, he is the threat. And while there's moments of levity throughout the movie it's all from like the human characters it's not really from freddy at all i i really like the part where uh it's like near the end and um glenn who's j- played by johnny depp in his film debut yeah <laughs> which i didn't know that and they're staring at her with like the windows barred up and they're just like that girl is crazy. Keep her away from her son. I'm like, oh, that's funny. Like, it, like there's no, we actually don't need the parents' perspective at all. They haven't been in the movie at all. Yeah. But they live in the house across the street. Like, I don't want that girl dating my son anymore. Like, I love that line. It's just the, so. The, the like, dad character, his his dad is just so fucking funny where he's just like, oh, like, you know, Glenn's not, Glenn's asleep right now and you have to talk to him in the morning. You just have to be firm with these kids. Okay. <laughs> just unhook the thing or it's just like, man, if cell phones would have existed, Johnny Depp would have probably wouldn't have died right there. <laughs> You know, also, I like that he had a record on, a TV on, and still managed to fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> that's one that's, tired teenager, man. That's all that, I know. That's like a Tommy method right there. That's like, uh, you know, if I signed up, would have fallen asleep during heat, too. <laughs> yeah, probably not. I think that's exclusive. Exclusively, <laughs> that's Tommy. Exclusive and, don't to take, and don't take that exclusivity away from you. You can ride that as a unique one-of-one badge. It's like in all these movies, like Freddy would like uh, need some elaborate thing to make a character fall asleep. For me, it's just like put on like a random movie and just like, oh, he he fell asleep immediately. (laughs) Well, I think it's interesting because you were mentioning that, you know, the studio said like, hey, we want to cost like, let's just hire some stuntman for it. And weird comparison I think of is Mad Men in the pot because they make the pilot. No, they make the pilot episode beforehand ended up follows don draper all the way through his chronicles in the city with his mistress yada 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 Mad Men stuff and then the final reveal is that he goes home to his suburbs to his wife and for the pilot they did not want to cast an actress they didn't want to cast january jones into the role they just wanted to have some model there because she has like one line of dialogue mm-hmm. to save costs but they're like no, no no this role is so important that like we can't just change the continuity of it like we need to make sure that that we have the actress there in the first in the pilot episode so i don't know that just made me think of that in terms of like random draw Mm -hmm. you know random draws of the studio trying to change one thing and 
director being like, you're not get you're not getting it, man. Like, like, no, this this is important. Like, we need the creepy movement. Cause he's like, Freddie's always hunched over. Mm. And he's like, and he just walks so menacingly. It's not a limp, but it looks and feels like a limp. Mm. It, it's really it's really a great physical performance by by Robert England. And uh, like this finger knives too, and like how great he was a mastering them. It apparently it took him a minute because the first time he ever put on those finger gloves, he ended up cutting himself a little bit because you could easily see yourself just like nicking yourself using these finger gloves. <laughs> but he just learns it in a way where it just doesn't look goofy at all and just seems very scary. Like that one scene in the boiler room where Nancy's getting cornered after she saw the body bag. And it was just like he was coming at you. And the score of this movie just hit so perfectly for a horror movie. Very 80s, but still works, you know? Yeah, it totally works. Um, it's it, like for you, because you're just a horror movie buff. Like, what is the influence of Freddy? Like, wh- like where does he reside the most? Because like, I feel like for sla- generic slasher films, I think of like more Friday the 13th or Michael Myers Halloween. But like, where does Freddy call him? Because he's obviously got the slasher element, mm-hmm. but he's playing that... Cr- he's playing more of that like dream like figure which doesn't always incorporate itself into to horror films so i mean the inspiration of this movie uh essentially for west was that he was thinking uh, he saw some articles in la times about uh some like southeast east asian refugees uh that died in the middle of like these like horrific nightmares they pretty much like uh, had these terrible nightmares and they're healthy young men and they refused to sleep for as long as they could and then they'd uh, fall asleep for, uh, from exhaustion. They woke screaming and then died. And it was just like one of those things where it got his brain spank thinking. And he's just like, what if it was just some guy that killed them in their dreams? And that was essentially where the movie came off from here. And so it was just Wes Craven just like a, was an English teacher. You know, he wasn't just like a random schlocky dude. We've seen this over a screen too, where it's just the guy has a little more ambition than your typical average slasher or like typical B movie, you know? Yeah, no, I I like that. I like that mystery element. And I liked that the movie doesn't try to explain to you what is in the dream world and what is in the real world and like where the crossover is. Mm -hmm. And it always leaves it very ambiguous. And like, you know, we said, like, you said what Freddy Krueger had, um, what, seven minutes of screen time, but anytime somebody's tossing or turning, you'll always hear his voice whispering. You always see somebody shattering in the sh- on the things, little marks on the arm, right? Um, mm-hmm. When Nancy falls asleep in the class, like she's in the boiler room, she touches. I, do we see? Do we even see Freddie in that scene? In the boiler room, yeah. Um, he's like coring her in the end, right there. But like his message just felt where he, like you see Tina just on the floor, the body bag, that, and that special effect right there was great. It just really hit you right there, it was, and slowly the kind of surreal aspects of this movie. Kind of like almost David Lynch in the end to an extent. Yeah, no, I, as a Lynch guy, I was definitely like, I should have, I was like, uh, I, I had a, such a busy day, but I wanted to look up, be like, oh, what does Lynch think of A Nightmare on Elm Street? Is there any public thoughts of it? Because like, I imagine he's not crazy about um, slasher horrors, but anything that kind of incorporates dreams just is right up his alleyway. And uh, like the ambiguity of it, I think really adds to the horror of it. Mm-hmm. and makes it chilling like i like when you first watched this were you scared i i definitely was i think uh because it's just like just tense throughout where it's just like you weren't really sure if a character was asleep or not or what was going on and they kept you guessing constantly and it felt like there's danger through everyone 
because they killed off Tino in the first 15 minutes, the character who you thought was going to be the final girl. I totally get you there. I, I felt the tension. I, I guess it's weird with me with like these slasher horror movies. They they don't really like scare me. And like, I'll say this, there wasn't really any jump scares either. Like in like the traditional sense that you think of, of like somebody walking around mm-hmm. with holding a flashlight and then like, and like he's right there. Like he pops out at points, but I feel like the musical cues were right on point with that. And like, you could feel when it was coming. Mm. Well, you definitely would hate the remake because uh, I, I rewatched the remake last week because I haven't seen it forever. And it was just a jump scare fest, like galore, where it was just constantly just like almost like a haunted house kind of thing. And just didn't feel the same level of dread that this original one does. You're right. Cause it, like jump scares take away from the dread of it and watching Nancy like devolve into madness as pretty much everybody around her kind of is like you're out of your mind like her dad who's the cop it's like you're crazy just get some sleep and the mom knew who fred krueger was so he was a child rapist right is that well in the remake they explicitly say that but i guess at the time uh, it was more of like a oh he's a child killer so they didn't have to say that but it's implied child killer (laughs) same difference uh, i mean Listen, kids were fucked up <laughs> we don't condone any of that on our podcast i just want to make that explicitly clear it's <laughs> the subject of the movie we're talking about we do not condone those kind of actions yeah so what do you think of the mother performance because i think it's the one part of this movie that has like a camp factor to her where oh like... it, but it's like the right level of camp yeah where she's like she's just like a drunk mess <laughs> it's like almost every scene you see her and there's like a bottle of vodka in like the background or she's pulling it out of like a cabinet here or a cabinet there like you almost expect like at the end of the movie that like nancy could have just taken out freddie just uh finding different random bottles of vodka and throwing them at him <laughs> so i'm sure you know this but there's the scene where she's doing this the sleep apnea sleep therapy right and mm-hmm. and she goes into that session she sits with the doctor and it's like so ridiculous that you would be sitting with the doctor, doctor talking about that like that. But you know who that doctor is, right? You know who plays him? Charles Fletcher, uh, Roger Rabbit himself. <laughs> yeah, it, it's weird. It, uh, like it was weird. It was like a weird little performance. Like it was like they had this thing that they needed to throw in the movie. And I guess all they could afford was a comedian because like I didn't mm-hmm. think he did anything special i mean he's in the movie for two minutes if that it's a very like forgettable role and like i've only realized it's charles fletcher after multiple rewatches um and i I wrote a note this time where i was like you wish that like they had a scene where like nancy the way she realizes she was in a dream was charles fletcher's like voice acting or something like that like him doing like a weird voice or something or very creepy or unsettling they could have easily taken advantage of that (laughs) yeah i i want i don't know his full filmography at that point but i wonder if it's a case of not knowing the talent that you have on your roster at that point kind of like um what's it called uh dr strange love with james earl jones just sitting there and they have like some weird narrator voice and it's like bro you got the greatest narrator of all time sitting (laughs) on your cast dude yeah, it's, it, it, I feel like it was probably just at that time, like he wasn't really as known and he just was thankful to get this random doctor role in five minutes in a, like a low budget movie. <laughs> Pays the bills. And I mean, this low budget movie, one point one million dollars earned fifty seven million dollars. 
this was known as the house that uh, built New Line Cinemas, um, the house that Pepe built. Uh, basically, like this was their second movie. The first one was kind of like a low budget under scene thing. And they pretty much bet everything off this movie. This was essentially their make or break movie. If this movie didn't do well, then New Line Cinemas wouldn't have been a thing. We probably still have seen Austin Powers and, you know, um, Lord, Lord of the Rings, of the Rings. And all that. But it would maybe have been no, maybe no Pulp Fiction, maybe no Pulp Fiction. So there is that. So you're saying what you're saying is, is that Freddy Krueger created a house of horrors for pretty much any working actress in Hollywood. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. For Freddy's a big part of Hollywood. So uh, it, it's crazy to think about it, though, because it's just like how much was lying on like you could just make like a fuck ton of money just with this original concept. So. Also, can I just say, I'm looking at it, at the thing. Is this correct release date, November 9th, 1984? Like, dude, who is running your release schedule? Like, you have this horror movie and you drop it the week after Halloween? Like, what are you, what are you doing? What are we doing here? Yes, yeah, somehow still ended up doing really well, but uh, it would have been primed for like mid-October kind of release. <laughs> would, have made, would have made so much more money if it was like an October 12th release. So much yeah. more money. Yeah, <laughs> so... And, you know, I can see that, like, you know, the the creativity in the story, because I feel like, granted, I'm not a horror buff, but at this mm-hmm. point, it was like almost kind of a, a low point for horror movies. I don't think of a ton of late 70s, early 80s. If anything, I'd, say, I'd say that I'd say the opposite. Mid 80s was like, a oh, I'm not genre. saying mid. I'm not saying mid. I know. I know mid 80s. I'm saying like this was part of like the rise back, the rise back into mainstream popularity for horror i i i don't know if i'd agree with that because like you had halloween in 78 and that was a huge movie that we'll be covering later on this month um and then friday the 13th right after that and that had like two sequels at this point you had animeville horror come out and the thing i mean that was a bomb but it's a great movie it it is a great movie so um i don't know it's a little bit of it just like this kind of just the slasher genre itself if you want to go to that that was getting stale before nightmare came and Nightmare, I felt, I felt like kind of re, you know, re-revitalized re- it. Re- it, and I, I feel like slashers are kind of dead now too. I don't. I, I, even then, I wouldn't know if I would agree with that because you know, you just had Scream make a lot of money back in January, the new Scream, and then you know we're having new Texas Chainsaw Massacres come out, new Halloween movies. Okay, come but out. I'm talking about something that's not a sequel to a long uh, franchise, like. When I think there's the what, Netflix Fear Street movies <laughs> that came out yeah. last year, those are big. Uh, you know, I just I think of like what was really popular in the 2010s, and it was all these like haunted house with like spooky spirits and, and like the Conjuring movies mm-hmm. like that. Like I felt like every time I watched a horror movie trailer, it was just like the Conjuring setup mm-hmm. being released by mainstream, like Blum Blum Blumhouse, right? Like they do yeah. a lot with smaller horror releases. You have the Jordan Peele stuff that he takes a lot of different elements and creates his own unique spin on them in terms of like mainstream popularity for horror. But like you saying, like these movies come out, I, I know the hot, the new Halloween's done really well, but outside of that, I can't really think of like any slasher that's become, that's like grown outside of it. And I feel like there's a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre every four years, Tommy. Yeah. To be fair, the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre is also trash, but I mean, like, some of the characters are still out there, like Chucky's having a new TV show come out this uh, month, but then that's a TV show. So it's you're not having as much fun characters like Freddy, I feel like, in your horror movies these days. 
I feel like Hollywood's straight away from original movie monsters because there's so many that are just so popular and basically guaranteeing yourself at least $20 million on release. It's guaranteed IP, yeah. <laughs> it's guaranteed IP. But it's it's that it's potential, it's it's a risk reward analysis, right? Because a lot of the horror movies that come out, they they're always made cheap, but like, you know, the bigger ones, you know, Friday the 13th, whatever, like when you're using these existing IPs, they're only gonna, you know, you it'll give it a five million to ten million dollar budget and it'll only make you twenty five thirty if it's trash. Whereas like look at this, one point one million to fifty seven. That's a giant profit and i feel like that's where originality comes in right like that's what makes this movie so special is it's an original way to tell a very typical kind of monster in a suburban setting that's haunting teenagers easily yeah i mean even the special effects i mean like like we said the budget was only 57k it's not a lot to work with and they had to do stuff like they had the room where Tina was spinning around like on a rig and they had to manually crank the rig to get to spin around the, uh, the room and everything and glue uh, and like staple all the furniture on set. So like wouldn't move or get uh, get out of the way. It's just kind of crazy. All the things they had to do just on this shoestring budget kind of. And, you know, that shoestring budget just it often breeds creativity for any because, I mean, obviously at this time you're getting so many B movies that are just getting released and forgotten on a penny budget. But like the truly great ones, because like this probably was released almost as a, you know, grindhouse B movie seen that way at that time. This movie stands out and lives on nearly 40 years later because of that creativity and finding ways to work around your budget and getting the shots that you need. Yeah, I mean, literally this movie last year got into the lab, um, was selected by National Film Registry. Of the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically uh, significant. You wouldn't expect that for a Freddy Krueger movie <laughs> or a guess slasher, you know? No, but horror for horror fans, rejoice. And man, the Library of Congress is like running thin on picks, huh? <laughs> oh, come on, come on. Don't, don't, don't shit on that. The cheap like shot, the cheap shot was there, Tommy. I had to take it. You, you, it, oh, was like on a pla- it was on a platter. <laughs> I, I say boo immediately, but whatever. <laughs> I am a star. I'm a star, I'm a star, I'm a star. I am a big, bright, shining star. All right, Tommy, who is the star of this movie? Because I feel like we didn't really talk. We talked a lot about Freddy, but we haven't really talked about the human performances. And I want to almost put Robert England as like the de facto winner of this week, right? Uh, would any yeah. arguments from you? No, no, I think he would be the one we'd pick. Yeah. <laughs> right. If you want to learn more, you can rewind back, you know, keep rewinding, get that listen time up for us. We really appreciate it. But you can hear what we had to say about his performance. It's terrific. But, you know, we have Heather Langkamp as Nancy Thompson, Johnny Depp as Glenn Lance. Then you have um, John Saxon as the police officer, Don Thompson um ronnie his, blakely as marge thompson like there's a lot of good performances here from not super well-known act uh actors uh johnny yeah, depp side hey yo even then johnny depp wasn't like a known quality uh quantity like you said this was his first movie um there's a rumor at the time that like he got the part when he was uh taking his friend jackie earl haley to go see this um to audition for this and they picked johnny depp instead of jackie earl haley 
But, um, you know, I, I think Johnny Depp in particular of the humans is probably like the most charismatic. Um, it's a really great performance. Apparently, Charlie Sheen was almost up for the role. And then Charlie Sheen was too expensive. So they went with the unknown instead. <laughs> yeah, little did they know that they probably got the bigger star overall versus Charlie Sheen. Yeah, <laughs> looking back in hindsight. But I do want to give Heather Langenkamp props. I think she's really good as Nancy Thompson. Wes Craven was saying in that behind the scenes interview that they wanted somebody that reminded you of the girl next door. Like she, mm-hmm. they wanted to bring that essence, like somebody who, who you would have a crush on. Like they didn't want it to be this super, you know, bombshell on the poster of a beer ad or whatever. Like they wanted somebody kind of down to earth. And I think she captures that really well. And it's a really good performance watching her devolve. Mm-hmm over time and i i think it's encaptured when she has her plan to catch freddy and she loops in glenn across the street calling him over the phone being like hey this is what we need to do here he is who the killer you do yes and if he gets me i'm pretty sure you're next me why would anybody want to kill me don't ask just give me some help nailing the guy when i bring him out Bring him out of what? My dream. How do you plan to do that? Just like I did the hat. Have a hold of the sucker when you wake me up. Wait, wait a minute. You can't bring somebody out of a dream. If I can't, then you can all relax because it's just a case of me being nuts. Yeah, well, I can save you the trouble. You're nutty as a fruitcake. I love you anyway. Good. Then you won't mind cold cocking this guy when I bring him out. What? I grab the guy in my dream. You see me struggling, so you wake me up. We both come out, you whack the fucker, and we got him. Are you crazy? Hit him with what? You're the jock. You have a baseball bat or something. Just meet me at my porch at midnight. Oh, and meanwhile. Meanwhile? Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Um, I think I think the way like at the end of the, uh, that clip how she just encapsulates the don't fall asleep. I mean that was like a trailer line right there. Um, she really like you said just plays unraveled really well. You, I like how in the beginning of the movie we get to see her and Glenn and all the other teens just like kind of before like you know when their lives are more normal and you get a little insight of what they were kind of like and then you get to see them how they just get unraveled and just disheveled and just like sleep deprived slowly. Watching her go from more and more days consecutively of no sleep because every time she does drift off that freddy comes into her dreams and you know in a movie that it's there's no real heroic line because the, like she takes a heroic stance right like because this isn't going to have your typical like hero moment right but she decides to risk herself and go to sleep and calls calls her dad and be like hey 12 30 on the dot, I need you in my bedroom because I'm going to get this guy. I'm going to pull him out of the dream world. And, you know, he's looking at her like she has seven heads. But I think it was a real... I, th- I thought she did a really nice job. And I-, I don't think Johnny Depp had enough screen time to maybe be like the star of the humans. You can tell instantly that he's got the natural charisma of a movie star. Yeah. They must have been blown away with what they had when they were like watching the dailies and being like, oh, this guy kind of rocks like this. 
if we play our cards right with him, we can take him the old way. And you know, they're sitting there being like, wish it was the old studio system. I would have owned his contract for 40 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like, you, you could tell immediately just the immediate charisma, just immediate, just like presence he has on the screen. Where, like, and he, I'd say he probably has the best death in this movie, too. Well, he is the only one that's not like that's very atypical, right? Because uh, mm. uh, Tina gets slashed all over her body, Rod gets hung, like, Freddie dr- ties the lasso around his neck and pulls him up, mm. and then um, he is he just a sinks into the bed and blood just explodes over the room i love when the the cop comes in he's like what's the crime scene like and he's like what, what do the coroner say he's like coroner's thrown up in the bathroom <laughs> it, it it's also just a part where they just take a beat to acknowledge like how fucked up this part was of the movie it was like hey guys yeah this is really messed up right and they had the dad downstairs seeing like the blood drip and him just being like oh my god it's like oh <laughs> it really I'll be honest, the actual blood spurting looked a little silly. I'm not going to beat around the bush there. It looked it looked a tad silly. Yeah, but uh, it kind of worked for me. <laughs> uh, listen, it works in the context of the movie and when it was made, but I wasn't like, oh my god. It was. I think it was one of probably the few images I had seen of this movie before, and I love that it was just a dude hanging out in his bed listening to records, falling asleep when he shouldn't. Yeah, uh, what I caught on this rewatch is that right before when he d- d- uh, drifts off, it says like, uh, "This is KRGR Radio." <laughs> so just another way of like Freddie just fucking with the kids a little bit. If this was one of the sequels, it would have been more overtly Freddie and more him like doing a wisecrack, like, "Oh, you shouldn't fall asleep watching TV, kid." How, how many of the sequels did Wes Craven do? He was only involved in two of the sequels. One of them he wrote, which was Dream Warriors. That's kind of like the alien to aliens of this, where Dream Warriors is more of a kind of action-y where they take on Freddy head on. And then he did one called New Nightmare, which was 10 years later. And it was kind of like a proto-scream where um, essentially Freddy Krueger haunts the real-life Wes Craven and Heather Langenkamp and Robert England. All right. Gotcha. So, because uh, I know, like I've heard Nightmare 2 is kind of considered like the ugly, ugly duckling of the franchise. Yeah, there's some people that like it, some people that hate it. I mean, there's gets to the point where like uh by the six one, he's like Freddy Cougar's killing people in like a video game and he's playing like the NES and he has the power glove. So it just gets way too cheesy and a little bit over the top. <laughs> he's like Bugs Punt. Honestly, pretty based. Pretty based. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> ah, are you ready, comedy partner? Waka waka. Tommy, would a nightmare on Elm Street work as a Muppet adaptation? I would love to see just like instead of like Glenn uh, getting fucking like blood spraying out, just like it was like Fozzie bed on the bear uh, on the bed or something like that. And then just like all this felt comes spurting out of the fucking bed and everything. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, this is one that like if, if you know when you heard that sound drop, it's obviously no. But I just want to see like recreations of some of the clips. Like I just think some of them, some of the deaths would be hilarious with Muppets. <laughs> like fucking Miss Piggy is like Tina, and she's just getting like on the wall, just everything you'd see, all this different little felt and like uh, fur and stuff like that coming out. Yeah, that's, that's... Kirby. <laughs> Kirby. Yeah, no, that would be uh, that would actually uh, be ideal. Like I like when, I don't when... want to watch ninety minutes of it, but I want to watch like ten minutes of it on YouTube. Would Robert England still have to be Freddy or would you of be course, like, of course. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, Tommy, review time. Give me your score. All right, so this is one of my favorite movies. Wes Craven is one of my favorite directors, uh, so I'm glad we're covering him again. I love Freddy Krueger. I love this movie. I, I feel like they really keep up the menace of the character. They don't make him really the cheesy guy he becomes. And there's just a sense of tension and like mystery and like air to it. This is very rewatchable. And I've seen this movie like a ton of times. And even on this last rewatch, I was still scared by moments. So it's still very effective. Um, I mean, I even have Freddy Krueger shoes. So I'm going to go five out of five. This is a great movie. The Freddy Krueger's the Tommy staple. You are. I love how proud you are of those shoes, man. <laughs> They're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> They're very cool bands. So if it wasn't apparent, I am not the biggest horror movie buff. I did enjoy A Nightmare on Elm Street. It's a totally fun movie that keeps the tension all the way through. Robert England gives an iconic performance. Everybody knows who Freddy Krueger is, even if you haven't seen A Nightmare on Elm Street. He's just become that incorporated into our pop culture. Um, The humans give a really nice performance as well. Uh, Getting to see Johnny Depp, I guess like a bright-eyed 22-year-old, gets a kick out of me. I, it like took me 25 minutes to process that that was actually Johnny Depp. I was like, that looks a lot like Johnny Depp. Did you not even know he was in this movie? <laughs> no, I didn't know anything. And the way that Wes Craven was able to utilize Freddy's screen time and make him such an um, overwhelming part of the horror without showing him too much really makes it effective. I'm going to give this three and a half out of five. Really enjoyed it. Fun movie. Highly recommend it. Perfect way to kick off spooky season. So, Tommy, any final thought? Uh, so thank you guys so much for listening. We have a great spooky season coming up. Um, you can follow us on social media at CNITPod. Uh, that's on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And uh, leave us five-star reviews on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, next week, we're going to be covering Hocus Pocus. We're going to Salem. <laughs> you ready, Tony? I am ready for Salem. I'm ready for Hocus Pocus. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week.